from Vestavia Hills City Schools, this is The Intentional Pursuit. Hey everybody, I'm Whit McGee. And I'm Brooke Wedgworth. Uh, it's great to be back uh, for our February 2022 episode. It, I, I can go ahead and say, Brooke, we're early in the year, but I know this is going to be one of my favorite episodes of the year. It always is. I loved talking to our teachers of the year last year, and I'm excited to see what Courtney and Jill have to share with us today. Yep, that's right. So if you uh, missed last month's episode, we had the opportunity to talk with Dr. Amy Rainey, who is our assistant superintendent of teaching and learning, provided us a big like 30,000 foot overview of everything that's been going on with teaching and learning, some of the great work that's been taking place there. Uh, If you are listening to us on Spotify or Google Podcasts or um, on our website, you can, of course, go back and check that episode out. We encourage you to do so. And this month, as you just said, Brooke, we're excited to talk to our district teachers of the year. That's right, Wit. So each year, our schools ask their teachers and staff to select a teacher of the year for each school. And usually that's based on their educational experience, service, leadership, and really how they're perceived by their colleagues. Then a district level committee selects one person to be elementary teacher of the year and one person to be our secondary teacher of the year. So our teachers of the year for this year are Caroline Barrow from Vestavia Hills Elementary Dolly Ridge, Allison Charles from Vestavia Hills Elementary East, Erin Dearman from Vestavia Hills High School, Lainey Graham, Vestavia Hills Elementary Liberty Park, Carrie Haywood, Vestavia Hills Elementary West, Brett Richards, Liberty Park Middle School, and Jordan Singletary, Vestavia Hills High School Freshman Campus. Our Elementary Teacher of the Year for our district is Courtney McKinney. She's a school counselor at Vestavia Hills Elementary Cabba Heights, And our secondary teacher of the year is Jill Wiggins, a language arts teacher at Lewis Pizitz Middle School. Welcome, ladies. Thank you. It's good to be here. Thank you. Might help if I pulled your uh, microphones up here (laughs) to say. We're we're so excited to have you both. And congratulations, first of all, on being named your school's teacher of the year, the district teacher of the year. I'm curious to know, how do you feel about being named Teacher of the Year and now having the opportunity to go on and potentially be Alabama Teacher of the Year? Undeserving. Oh, you yeah. know, I, absolutely. It's it's such an honor to be a representative of our school, and I love that uh, now I can be a representative of our, of our district. And I just feel so honored and blessed uh, because I'm glad to have my students in a school system that cares about the whole child and cares about mental health and academics and so much more and builds a relationship with the kids. So it's just very humbling for me to know that I am able to represent the system. Right. Um, when I interviewed at Pizzitz way back when, I remember leaving the interview and saying, I have never been around a place that seeks so hard to do right by kids. And, you know, every kid, not not one of them to fall through the cracks. So to think that my colleagues, you know, would would choose me, like you said, it's just very humbling. And your reward for being chosen is you get to do a podcast. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's your prize. Here it is. You made it. You made it. That's exactly. Right. We have arrived. <laughs> well, Courtney, I want to start with you. You've been in school counseling for 18 years, including five at Cabo Heights. So I have a couple of questions for you. One thing I want to know is what are some things that you've seen change about school counseling over the time and the years you've spent in counseling, and maybe even some of the things that have stayed the same. 
Oh, my goodness. That's a great question, but it's hard to know where to start. You know, I think that if we all asked ourselves, who is your elementary counselor, could we even answer that? No. Mm. You know? Um, (laughs) And and now, if my students can't answer that correctly, I feel like I failed at my job. You know, I want them to know that I am a, you know, I am present, I am there, um, and I am excited to be a part of their lives. I tell them when I go into the classrooms at the beginning of every year that I want to keep them safe and healthy and happy. And if they ever feel at any point that they are not any of those three things to come and talk to me, um, that I want to be a helper to them. So I love my job and I feel like our role is ever evolving. You know, back in the day we were called guidance counselors and we've kind of changed that name from guidance to just school counselor. Um, but because a lot of people have a negative connotation to guidance counselor, they, they think back to what their middle school counselor was like. And it's not that way anymore. We do so much more, or at least we try. Um, and thankfully we have teachers on board to help us. So it's not just us, but it's, it's a great opportunity. And I I love that here in Vestavia, I can do so much more with my role than before. And one of the perceptions that you mentioned, Courtney, is that counselors do so many things. And so sometimes I think counselors aren't necessarily viewed as teachers. But I know, especially for our elementary um, counselors, you do have a role um, in teaching. So could you share with our audience just a little bit about how you really take on that teaching role in classrooms and even with small groups. Absolutely. So at the beginning of every year, I ask teachers um, to sign up for a time that I can come and visit in the classroom. And that's really just an introductory time for me to be a presence in the classroom. And I think that's so important because I want to be out in front of the kids and I want to establish a warm and safe environment and make the kids feel comfortable with me. Because if they're comfortable with me in the classroom, then they're going to feel comfortable to come to my office later on when they have a problem. So my number one goal is to make sure that I'm in front of them, teaching um, friendship, conflict resolution, career exploration, um, feelings and emotions. We like to identify those things so we can name it and tame it. So there are a lot of different life skills that I like to teach in the classroom. And then there's obviously small groups and individual sessions that I do as well. But large group is by far my favorite thing because I get to be in front of them and teach them, just not in the the way that they might be used to. And, you know, you've you've done a lot of work around stress and anxiety management Mm -hmm. in students. And I think a lot of our teachers and staff have even uh, enjoyed hearing about that, too. And my understanding is you recently wrote an article on best practices for um, just self-regulation of students and uh, particularly in elementary school setting. Can you share some highlights from what you've learned? Sure. So I was able to be a part of the Powerful Conversations Network last year where we uh, read a book by Kristen Sowers called Relationship, Responsibility, and Regulation, teaching your students about trauma and how to self-regulate. And I thought, this is so important that this shouldn't stay with me. This needs to expand to our teachers as well. So I was given the opportunity to lead some professional development for our teachers at the beginning of the year. And I talked to them about the trauma-informed educator and what that looks like. Because if we are going to help our child, we have to understand that if a child comes comes to us in the morning in what we call the downstairs brain, then they're not in a place where they can learn. They're distracted, they're not focused, and they're not going to learn anything. So what I've got to do is make sure that our teachers know, as well as myself, how to help that child leave that downstairs brain and get to a place to where they're ready to learn and be successful. 
So I wrote a grant through our special projects with PTO to provide all teachers a fidget box that had mindfulness activities, fidgets, different things that they could use in a calm down corner or cool down spot and self-regulate. So we've really spent a lot of time this year talking to teachers and students about self-regulation. I think I could use one of those boxes. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Can, can we add that to the grant? I'll send right. one on the pony. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you mentioned in your essay for Alabama Teacher of the Year that when you came to Cahaba Heights in 2017, the principal at that time told you character education was held in high regard at the school, and it still is today. In fact, Cabo Heights won a National School of Character Award in 2020. How does this focus on character education benefit students and staff at the school? I feel like it benefits them in so many ways. And the interesting thing to me is that character education is not just a counselor thing. There has to be a buy-in from the teachers. They have to see that it's important. So a couple of summers ago, we had a Safe and Happy Heights kickoff during the, it was a summer professional development. So we all wore referee shirts and we brought tailgate food and we made it a celebration because we wanted our teachers to buy into the fact that character education is important. That we're not just trying to raise smart kids, but kind kids too. And if we were gonna do that, it couldn't be a me thing. It had to be an us thing. So we spent the whole day talking about the expectations expectations that we wanted for our kids in the hallway, in the classroom, in the bathroom, what that looked like in every facet of their day. So they can never look and say, well, you didn't tell me that you didn't want me to, you know, throw throw toilet paper across the bathroom. We made our expectations very clear. And it has been so interesting to see how incredibly well our teachers have implemented character education into the classroom through their Heights Huddle, which is our morning meeting. So that's something that we do every single day. And I am able to go and just sit in and now see our teachers teaching character education. And that's been incredible. It's been so rewarding. That's fantastic. And, you know, the benefits are just so obvious, not just in the the, uh, the national recognition, but just everything, the culture of the school, the core values, you can just feel it. Turning to you, Jill, our mm-hmm. secondary teacher of the year from Pazitz, you started in secondary education in 1995 in Georgia. Yep. Are, are you from Georgia originally? No, I um, graduated from Auburn in 95, and my now husband um, had, took a job over there. We were engaged, and so, you know, I went to Gwinnett County, which was very different from um, from Vestavia. I believe like the ninth grade class at where I ultimately ended up at Brookwood High School had about 900 kids in ninth grade. So we had, you know, it was large. It was very large. So it was totally, totally different environment. Um, but goodness, I was blessed. I started at Burkmore High School in Gwinnett and was blessed early on with fantastic mentors. I mean, that's just so important, I think, to when you cultivate your craft. The ones who say yes more than they say no and who let you spread your wings and, you know, provide that safe place for young teachers to both fly and to fall. And um, so it was wonderful. It was, you know, very different from growing up in Gadsden and then going to Auburn. Being in a large city and in a large school was, was quite different. Well, you got a nice uh, fist pump from Courtney over here when you mentioned Auburn. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, so you've you've been here in Vestavia Hills mm-hmm. since 2017 as the language arts teacher at Pazitz. Right. What makes Pazitz, and then specifically middle school in general, 
such a special place and rewarding place for you? Yeah, I never thought I would end up in middle school. I mean, I never anticipated that, you know, in part because if you ask anyone if they could go back to any time in their life, they would not choose middle school. Most, I mean, you know, my mom would say, bless your heart. That was your awkward face. You know, I look back <laughs> and I had an unfortunate incident with some sun in and there were braces. <laughs> and, you know, you're just, you're, you're negotiating friendships and deciding who you are and where you fit in. And I never would have anticipated that I would have ended up in middle school. But you know, we have on the wall at Pizzitz our Pirate Creed, Character, Excellence, Family. And I think what makes Pizzitz so special is this sense of family. It, it is not just a slogan. It is not just the Pirate Creed. Um, we live, you're talking about character education. We live out that character excellence family. And, you know, I have a little slogan that I say. I'll say character excellence family, don't sell your soul for an eighth grade English quiz. And, you know, I always tell my students, you know, before they take a quiz, there's an order to that. Character comes before excellence. Who you are is more important than how well you perform. And so what makes Pizzitz so special is that in middle school in general is the stakes are so low. Like, you know, I'm like, listen, if you bomb this test, it's not keeping you out of Harvard. You know, it is, it's a place to learn those life lessons that you were talking about. So, you know, I've never before been in a place that felt more like home, that really embraced that idea of family. So those are just a couple reasons that Pizzitz is so special. Jill, you've said often that you want your classroom to be a great place to fly mm -hmm. and a safe place to fall. Tell us a little bit more about that philosophy. I want my students to take risks. I want them to read books that maybe they would not have ordinarily picked out for themselves. Um, I want them to to do things, <laughs> I was about to say, to do things that are not safe. But then I'm realizing I have middle school boys. <laughs> so maybe I need to rein that back a little bit. Hot wiring a car. Yeah. yeah, I need to right. rein that back a little bit. <laughs> But, um, you know, I guess it kind of goes back to those low stakes that I had talked about. You know, I would, I would tell my parents often when we would um, meet with them before the school year, I'm like, listen, you forget your lunch money, have a little bit of cushion in there. Or not your lunch money. If you forget your um, lunch, have a little cushion in the account that you might bless them with a Crispito. Don't bring it to them. You They're know. coming back. Yeah, thank heavens. I that's mean, like right. you know, the stakes are so low. That's that's kind of what I mean. And if you you know, leave your gym clothes at home, listen, getting some points marked off in eighth grade is not the end of the world. It is, so it is a great place to fly and to take those risks and to try new things. But also, you know what? Sometimes natural consequences are just the best teachers ever. And middle school is a great place to learn that. It's much better than than college, for example, you know, so that's kind of what I mean by that. And I also love what you say about, and I'm, I'm totally going to mess this up, but allowing students to leave a book. Oh, will, yeah. Will you expand on that? Sure, sure. Um, I jokingly say I'm the match.com for books because <laughs> I, it is my goal to make sure that you find a book that you, you will fall in love with. And I will tell my students often, listen, if you are not feeling it, break up. Don't commit to a long-term relationship with a book you are not in love with. Life, I have quite a few slogans, like life is too short to read bad books, and then the one about don't sell yourself for eighth grade English quiz. <laughs> but life is too short to read bad books. Yes. And like, what is my end game here? Um, I wanna foster a love of reading because I mean, 
all the research shows that students who read more have a bigger vocabulary, they perform better on standardized tests, they contribute more to society, they're more likely to vote. There's all kinds of research about the benefits of reading. And so what is my end game here? It's not that you look at it as a punishment. It is a reward. This is something you get to do. And so if I can sell it in that way and say, listen, if you're not feeling this book, I've got 15 others that I think you might like. Let's find one that is right for you. So, yeah, I definitely tell them to break up, break up, break up. <laughs> I, I love that. And I, it sounds, my sense is that it just builds so much more excitement about going and picking up a book and, and really investing in it when you find one that you really love. So oh, yeah. that's great. Well, I, one thing that I noticed in your Alabama Teacher of the Year uh, packet, you both have to send to Montgomery for consideration, is Jill, you are passionate about teaching journalism, mm. which is really interesting. That That's what my degree is in, so I'm also passionate about journalism. You've started classes at Pizzitz for print and broadcast journalism. You have the Pirate Pages mm -hmm. and then Pirate Vision that's yes. been added on. And then I believe you were recently awarded a, a grant to start a literary magazine mm -hmm. at Pizzitz called The Cutlass. Right. I would love to know what drove you to create these journalism programs. Okay, well, my graduate degree is in English rather than English education. And so when I was at Georgia State University, I worked in their on-campus writing center and taught, some, taught a variety of classes. And one of the things that I learned there um, was just the importance and the significance of a literary magazine. We had a magazine that was housed um, on campus, and people from all over would, would submit. And I knew that the talent pool that we have at Vestavia we had some great writers and we needed a showcase for that. So a couple of years ago, I did write a grant and um, the Vestavia Foundation awarded us monies to go to the Alabama Scholastic Press Convention at the University of Alabama. And while we were there, I learned that students were also excited about this idea of broadcast. You know, it, it's sort of the way things transpired. My principal you know, said this year, is there anyone who might be interested in taking on broadcast in my hand just shot up right away because I thought back to that and the excitement of, of what we could do with that. Because really, language arts is bigger than just literature. Our goal should be to excite students about the possibilities of language and what all you can do with that. And so I just saw whether it was Literary Magazine as a conduit for creative writing or speaking and listening skills and writing scripts for pirate vision, producing segments, those are creative ways to use language. So to me, they sort of just went hand in hand and it has gone so well. We have now had um, three episodes. We're almost ready with our fourth, our February episode. But um, I did know, I had the, I, I like to think we scooped AL.com because we heard of the um, return of the Crispito. We broke that story. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> we All broke right. that one like in, um, I think it was <laughs> maybe our lunchroom dude, as he is known, Anthony, who works in our lunchroom, said there's a possibility of a springtime return to the Crispito. And so we like to think that we, we scooped them on that story. <laughs> Some breaking news breaking coming news. out of this. And we have hits. since had them twice. Are they, so, are they as good as they used to be? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yes. I mean, it might have been the only food that's been prominent, only cafeteria food prominently featured on my Instagram feed. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, we've heard you both talk a lot about your philosophies and just various things you do within your roles. But I know one thing you had to talk about in your Alabama Teacher of the Year essay was your message. What message would you communicate 
if you were selected as Alabama's Teacher of the Year. So we'll start with you, Courtney. If you were chosen, what would you like to communicate to teachers and other counselors across the state? You know, mental health really does matter. You know, I am a product of my past. We all are. And I think that we need to recognize that and be okay with that and um, take these kiddos where they come and love on them where they're at and help them get to a place to where they're ready to be successful and to let them know that we will carry them through and that we want to be there, that we care about them um, and just make sure that that's known to everybody. Caring about the whole child and looking at their emotions and how they feel and how they come to school and what they might be presented with at home also resonates in the school. So that's really something that I'd like to focus on. Jill, what would your message be? And what, what she said just really speaks to me. Um, I, have, I have three kids at home, but two of whom have a hard, hard time at school. I have a 20-year-old with autism and a 17-year-old with some dyslexia and some learning differences and challenges. And when I heard you talk about um, earlier the knowledge of being just a trauma-informed parent and teacher, that really speaks to me. And I think what my message is is quite similar. If I think all I'm doing is providing content, that is really an antiquated view of what the teacher's role in. I mean, role is. They can get every standard from those little pocket computers that they carry around, you know, known as <laughs> phones. They can get every standard from there. And my role as teacher is to, sure, get them excited about language and get them excited, but it's really to love on them, like you've said. I've always said students and then standards. It's not to discount the other. Standards are absolutely important. But my first priority is to teach the student that these parents have entrusted into my care. And like when we said safe place to fall, to when times are hard, to be that person for them. So I think that would probably be, my message is really quite similar. I have to say, it's it's been a thrill getting to talk with both of you and just to hear the passion that both of you have for teaching uh, students, but, but also just caring for them, just the compassion that you have. I mean, Brooke, it's, it's just remarkable to see how so much of, of what, we, we, what we emphasize throughout the school system and, and so much of what our goals are focused on is, is building great people, you know, not just understanding academic standards, but the character side, the value side, instilling that is something that you'll carry with you for life. Absolutely. You both are so impressive. And obviously, um, neither of us are surprised that you were chosen to represent our district. But I think now our listeners will now understand um, why you two were chosen and why y'all should be chosen for the state. Absolutely. Look, Thanks. we're, you know, we're, we're, we're not ashamed of we it. We're a little biased. biased. No. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Best of luck to both Thank of you, you on you. the state level. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank yes. you for Thank joining you. us today. And thank you for listening to The Intentional Pursuit.